Hello, and welcome to the Quacks Podcast, Episode 6. I'm Lucas, and I'm here with Brian. Hi. How are you guys doing today? Well, they, <laughs> That was very formal. They for can't me. answer. <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> I want them to think in their own heads how they're doing today. That's very important. Okay. It's like self, a self-reflection thing. Self-awareness, self-reflection, and then self-care, right? I guess. I guess that's what's wor- what All right. I messed about. up. You don't have to call me. All right. <laughs> So we've got a couple cool articles we're going to go over today. We're going to go over ashwagandha, uh, which is a very interesting herb with yes. some cool properties. And we got some feedback, some testimonies on it. Yes. Yeah. I've used it myself. I like it. Yeah. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? How was your week? I'm doing good. Like you can kind of tell I still got a little bit of a scratchy throat, but I'm doing all right. You sound way better than you did last week. Yes. For sure. Good. Good. So I like that. All right. Well, let's dive in. So uh, I checked out a couple articles. Um, there was an article back from December. The National Institute of Health, so very official, they're conducting a $300 million study looking at children's brains and their screen time. Mm. So looking at goals to find out, you know, are screens addictive? Um, so far, they have found that children who spend seven or more hours per day on their phones or tablets have a premature thinning of their cerebral cortex, which is part of your brain. Seven or eight hours these kids have? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's a lot of time on your screen. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But still, a thinning of your brain. It's like something they see in, you know, people with, like, degenerative brain diseases. That sounds terrible. It is. So... the The researchers, they're not saying whether they have a cause yet on how that works seven hours is quite a bit you know other things could be inflating there Um, but they also looked at two hours per day on their screens or on video games and they found that those kids scored worse on language and reasoning tests just from two hours just from two hours yeah wow so more data will come out in the months ahead and they recommend not allowing children under two access to screens at all unless it's like video chatting with grandma Wow. And it's weird because I have not read about this on the iPhone message board. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, we knew they were bad. I know just from firsthand how it's affected my daughter's learning and her overall just cognitive function. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to mention just being able to focus on something for longer than 15 seconds, the length of an Instagram story. So Totally. Well, it's like I noticed too, you know, just with me or with my girlfriend or whatever – if you're on your phone for a while, they do have, like, people have more problems focusing, you know? Like, it totally makes sense that they would get, you know, worse on reasoning and whatnot. I'm guilty of it, I have to say. I give her a lot of crapola about being on her phone all the time because it scares me. Mm-hmm. But I definitely find myself looking in cases where I don't have my phone in my pocket or, you know, on my person at all. I'm like, where's the phone? When, if there's a lull. In a conversation, I find myself looking for the things. So, yeah, definitely something to be aware of when we're raising children. Yep. So, yeah, that's a little freaky. Scary. Yeah, that's all right. Well, you know, iPhones have that new uh, that new tracker where you can track your screen time. I don't know if Android. I have it. It tells me every week how much I've been on my phone. That's kind of useful. It is. Yeah, it's, it's like you can have goals. You can aim for lower and lower. No, it's good. It's it's really helped the self-loathing um, in my life. 
uh, <laughs> when I see how much time I've spent on there. But no, it does make me aware, and I've actually been able to manage my time accordingly mm. and try to cut, make a cognitive or a, an aware, you know, uh, what's the, the term I'm looking for? Uh, an informed decision on whether or not I should spend more time on my phone. Yeah. And it has helped me. So that's a nice feature. Yep. So the next article I looked at was from Merkula. This was earlier this month. Um, and basically the FDA is calling out sunscreen manufacturers and their dangerous chemicals that they are using in their sunscreen. And so amazingly, the FDA kind of got this this right, which is pretty cool. Wow. Uh, so it says the USDA, uh, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is proposing new regulation to ensure the safety and effectiveness of sunscreens. Of the 16 active sunscreen ingredients used in products in the U.S. market, only two, the non-nano-sized zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, have been deemed safe for human use by the FDA. Oh my golly. So the FDA admits scientific data datum are lacking for 12 active sunscreen ingredients on the list and asks industry to help in providing more data in order to perform a rigorous assessment of all active ingredients on the market. I just love this. You know, it's like, this actually happens a lot if you read, like, FDA pressers and stuff. They ask the people who they are regulating to provide them with the data to regulate them. <laughs> Which, like, oh you know, they don't have unlimited resources, so they can't do all these testing. So in this case, they're like, you know, they're basically asking the people who are selling the potentially harmful chemicals to do the testing on those harmful chemicals and let them know if they're harmful. It harkens back to cigarettes and the tobacco industry. Right. They were doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. We, we learned nothing. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like, we know your livelihood depends on this. Can you tell us whether it's good or not? It's yeah. like, yes, it's great. Perfectly <laughs> it safe. is good. So one of the 12 active sunscreen ingredients the FDA claims to be unsure about is oxybenzone, which is used in like 70% of the sunscreens out there. And it suggests that it's an endocrine disruptor, um, and it's known to decimate coral reefs and harm aquatic life. Oh my gosh. It's actually an interesting story. For a while back, they you know all these reefs were dying, mm. and the big thing was, oh, it's global warming that's doing it you know the the oceans are heating and i don't think it's everywhere but i know in some areas they actually linked it to people wearing this sunscreen what and swimming by those coral reefs they can link it to that how do they well, do that well they find it in the reef they probably. find it in the reef and the reef dies and then and so now there's actually sunscreens out there that you can get that say coral reef safe that is amazing yeah that is very... I mean, I know that there were inherent risks in any and most sunscreens, but I did not know that it was actually a risk to, to the environment like that, too. So, yeah, another argument for making sure you're getting a healthier sunblock. Yeah. And this stuff, I think we've known all of this stuff for a while. But, yeah. But, you know, it's just kind of cool that the FDA's out there. So, research shows 13 of the 29 sunscreen chemicals, so about 50%, allowed in the U.S. and European Union have the ability to reduce male fertility by affecting calcium signaling in sperm. It's producing this progesterone-like effect. Uh, there's also some concerns about neurotoxic effects, like with your My brain. My God! <laughs> oh, geez. 
these. There's just a lot of unknowns, which is why the FDA is asking the people who are using these to tell them whether they're safe or not. And that's important in Arizona. I mean, people next to <laughs> water in the summertime, I think it's the second thing that people reach for. Um, that's, that's alarming. Yeah, and, and one thing people might not think about is if your makeup has SPF or your chapstick has SPF, you might be putting these chemicals onto you. So Thanks, bud. Yeah. In a fear-based <laughs> media culture, we're joining. That's <laughs> the theme of this week. Fear. But uh, <laughs> that is so crazy. Thank you for actually telling me that because we are heading into the hot season right now. And mm. I buy I buy this stuff for my daughter, obviously. I don't want her to get fried. But yeah, um, yeah it'll make me look at the ingredients a little closer. So, yeah. So you, do your research. Yeah, you can get the zinc stuff, but it just makes you white. Like that's the it's a mineral sunscreen, so it actually blocks. It's a sun blocker, it's not a chemical blocker. Right. So it actually just that's the crappy thing about the zinc or the titanium dioxide is they make you white. Right. You know, it and that's not just... a popular color these days. So we need to just <laughs> <laughs> It's we... either not very popular or it's very popular. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's just no in between. You're right. <laughs> Um, no, that that is definitely cause for alarm. And uh, does it mention any of the safer brands, or is that something we have to no. look into? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you just go into any natural store, I mean, you can see zinc sunscreen, etc. And you just look on the back, and if it says anything other than because it has that little active ingredient, you mm. know what the sunblock is? We'll say zinc on there or titanium, and then if it says oxybenzone and Aquavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkavarkav
they found a significant reduction in TSH in the group that they gave the ashwagandha extract to. Okay. And then they found T3 and T4 coming up. So is that a, a hypothyroidism? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and they diagnose hypothyroidism like giving out flyers at a Coachella concert, man. I mean they <laughs> I mean it's like everybody has hypothyroidism, you know? <laughs> I have a little bit. It's so prevalent. I mean yeah. me too. Like it's like it seems like you have a bad month and you're like your TSH <laughs> spikes and they they want you on, on thyroid meds. So right. anyway, it's pretty cool that Ashwagandha can really help, and I know in some of the ashwagandha and some of the thyroid formulas out there, they will put ashwagandha. So there was another human study. They looked at stress-related weight gain. They gave people ashwagandha for that. That was over eight weeks, and they found that people gained less weight when they were on ashwagandha versus nothing. And everybody has stress-related right. weight gain. So is that the stress from just a physiological standpoint? Somehow we don't process our foods, or is it because we're comfort eating when we're stressed? It's difficult because stress puts your body into a whole hormonal cascade and chronic stress is like putting that in that cascade continuously and so you get all these different problems and and people can be in chronic stress just sitting around they can be in chronic stress because they're marathon runners Mm. they can be in chronic stress from a lot of different things Um, but it's just that that chronic stress it tends to make your body gain weight and hold on to weight because that's what um, cortisol, that's the main hormone that your body produces. Um, when you have that chronic, chronic stress, it will tend to make you gain weight around your organs to protect them. Right. Which gives you the... A protectant. Yes. Okay. Gives you the belly fat. I know that. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty cool that ashwagandha can help them with that. And then just one more cool study. Uh, ashwagandha helps with bone formation and wound healing. So... People take it. I know people have taken it for like physical recovery after exercise. It's good for that. Right. Which is interesting. No, that's great. Yeah. So anyway, you said... It's super popular. I mean, in the store, there's a lot of people who come in and ask for it. Because I remember when the first time I'd ever heard that, I thought it was, once again, some kind of spell when sending ashwagandha. And I couldn't pronounce it for the first couple months that I was there. But what I've come to find out is that it's kind of one of those herbs like a holy basil where people are using it for mood. They're using it to enhance or make their mood better or dealing with certain issues, whether it be depression or um, stress at work or whatever it is. Um, and I've, I've talked to a few people, this one woman in particular, who subbed out ashwagandha and responded so well to it that she did away with her Xanax mm. um, and is no longer taking any kind of anxiety medication um, as a result of just finding total solace in this herb. Um, but she comes in and it's like the, the church of ashwagandha. I mean, <laughs> she'll talk to any other customers that are around. She's that passionate about it. Wow. Um, So I obviously tried it, and I found that it was great, too. Um, Everybody obviously um, has their own whatever remedy it is that they're accustomed to, but I found that it was something that really fit the the bill nicely as far as my own emotional issues go. And, Mm. uh, you know, I'm a CBD and a holy basil guy, but um, I got a very similar result. I haven't made the switch over just because I'm still really happy with my other herbs. Yeah, if it's working, why change? But, um, it, and I don't want to introduce too much at once because what's working, what's not. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, so, but I, I mean, she swore by it. I've turned a lot of people on to it. And she also said that it was great for um, 
that time of the month, you know. Oh. I, 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 that's a dated phrase, I think, that time of the month. But, you know, for a woman's uh, menstrual cycle and period or premenstrual cycle and dealing with emotional issues and hormones as a result of, of that influx. Hmm. Um, and she, that's when she initially started it, I think, because she had such heavy mood swings. She was taking Xanax during that time. And now she's on this ashwagandha and she uses it all the time. Obviously, there's going to be less... Um, issue on the other side of it when you're not taking you know a, a pharmaceutical that's going to have a swing on the other side because with every pharma or every every agent that we take obviously like you were saying earlier there's going to be something on the other side of the scale um, yeah i really like things that you can take that don't have a big effect on the other end totally you know and ashwagandha seems to be one of those things. it seems to be Definitely. So you were saying though that there there were mild side effects. Now I hadn't heard of any kind of effects whatsoever. Do you know what those might be? Yeah. So there's a few things to watch out for. So it's it's cholinerger- cholinergic, okay. which basically means it it will activate uh, acetylcholine. It, it prevents the breakdown of acetylcholine, and that's a neurotransmitter. It can affect people differently. It can make some kind of people overfocus or something like that. It Basically, your brain has a balance of dopamine, serotonin, and acetylcholine. And so when acetylcholine is a little bit higher, the other ones can kind of go up or down. And so I I know I'm not being very specific, but that can affect some people. Right. Um, It will also raise serotonin in certain certain people. Okay. So I've actually read a couple accounts of people using it who get way too much serotonin and they kind of feel like a total zombie on, on ashwagandha. Okay. So, I mean, that's not everybody, but I mean, obviously if you're taking an SSRI or something, that's something to, to watch out for. But zombies aren't sad, so it's still doing its job. It's just too much yeah. doing its job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I can see that. It, I mean, that falls in that category of you were saying about apathy too. Yeah. Um, that's something, you're just not feeling anything. That's actually, that's a... Most people think serotonin is like the happy neurotransmitter, mm. but it's actually the apathy neurotransmitter. It doesn't make like you don't happy. don't care as much. It makes, it just, yeah. So a little bit of serotonin makes you a little carefree. Okay. Makes you feel a little bit less like things are that bad. Too much serotonin and you become this apathetic, non-caring monster, which is why. <laughs> Sociopath. You do, which yeah. is why a lot of like mass shootings are associated with serotonin drugs really? of some kind oh, that makes sense because it makes you apathetic you yeah. just don't care you just don't care this way a little serotonin is good you want a little bit there you know yeah if you don't have any serotonin then things matter a lot oh boy you know and you can that's a whole another you don't want to go down that road no um but yeah you can get apathetic and it's I don't know. It's it's not a it's not a good thing to be apathetic. I mean, it's, it's I guess it's better than being you know suicidally depressed. But and just tying in what we were saying before, I know I'm kind of jumping around. But the only other topic we brought up was that screen time thing, and that mm. that is a source of apathy in itself. I mean, mm. people not having as much um, concern for their fellow human beings. At least I've, from the teen level. Yeah. Well, the way that works is when you're on your screen. It's dopaminergic, so it's raising your dopamine because you're playing little games and they're all hooked up to boost your dopamine. And when you get off that, your dopamine crashes. Oh, boy. And dopamine and serotonin are opposite each other. So as one goes up, the other goes down. So when your dopamine crashes, serotonin 
That's the app. Oh, wow. It's all coming together. That makes sense. I love this. These are like little mini mysteries we're figuring out. You're like, you're figuring out. I was already on this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but that's my layman understanding of it. Right. I mean, obviously, there's some mechanics there that I'm not getting right of dopamine up, serotonin down. I mean, it's way more complicated than that, I'm sure. But, you know. It's not so hard and fast, but I mean, like, it. Uh, that's the gist of it, I would say. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. And uh, that's that's interesting about serotonin because I'd never heard that that apathetic stance, and mm-hmm. that, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it, it actually ties into some research about, and we're getting totally off topic here. It ties into research about uh, it's called learned helplessness, mm. and basically, if you take rats or humans or whatever, and you torture them in a in a scientific setting, but you don't let them get away from it, you get this massive boost in serotonin. Which basically is a is this, is this learned helplessness where they stop fighting, and so they do these these tests on rats where they stress them out in a way that they can't do anything about it, and they put them in water and see how long they'll swim around before drowning. I know this is awful, right? Scientists <laughs> yes. are terrible people. Brought to you by PETA this week. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they'll see, you know, and so if you take a rat and you stress it out and then you put it in water, you stress it out in a way that it can't do anything about it. Put it in water. It'll swim around for a couple minutes, then it'll drown and die. Wow! It's it's called learned helplessness. Oh my god! But if you stress that rat out and you give it something to bite on, then when you put it in water, it will swim around for a lot longer before it dies. Really? So the act of being able to do something about stress combats that learned helplessness. That's amazing. That serotonin spike, which is is pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, the way our bodies work. Just to survive a day. <laughs> yeah. And ashwagandha doesn't do any of this. We are totally <laughs> off topic. <laughs> but I will say, from the store level, I do have people, if not daily, weekly coming in hmm. and extolling the virtues of ashwagandha. Yeah. Um, and I had talked before we started recording about seeing higher numbers as far as female representation in the ashwagandha world. As, as I mean... Overall, though, we get a lot more female customers, I would say, on average than, than male. Um, you're just women, you're just more hip to the health. <laughs> and then you bring it home and you foister it upon your loved ones, which we thank you for. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've seen a lot of that, but it is amazing because I hadn't heard any of this other side of it. So we're getting mm. the full picture now because yeah. you just start thinking it's a super herb. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Anti-stress, anti-anxiety, helps hypothyroidism, helps prevent stress weight gain. You know, it's like the American supplement right there. Everybody <laughs> in America needs this. But it doesn't taste like apple pie. Why yeah. don't you tell me again what the ashwagandha stand? What was that again? Yeah, Loosely ashwagandha, I think, translates to the smell of horse. So like polo, cologne. <laughs> the real stuff. <laughs> The real stuff. That's it, so funny. Yeah. So it'll give you some energy. It looks a little anabolic, kind of help you help you with exercise. Um, but you can take it before you go to bed, so it doesn't overstimulate you. I love that. Yeah. So dosages, like what do you want to take? So basically, it depends on whether you're taking the powdered root or the extract. Um, if you are taking the extract, you probably want to start at 300 milligrams, kind of get up to 600 milligrams. That's around the dosage that's the most popular. There's two really good extracts out there. One's called KSM-66. The other's called Sensoral, 
It'll say it right on the bottle. Mm. Uh, there's a difference between them, but I don't really want to jump into the nitty-gritty on that. Both are a little bit pricier, but they do have some cool studies proving their efficacy. If you're going straight for the powdered ashwagandha, you can start at 1,500 milligrams, and the sky is the limit, basically. So you want to find the dosage that is right for you. The extract, it's going to be stronger. In certain effects, it's going to be more drug-like, whereas... You know, like like you're targeting symptoms, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the non-extract is going to be more balanced. It's going to have a wider range of botanical constituents. So, I mean, personally, I always like starting with like the whole root powder. You know, just just like the straight root, um, because it's it's easier to balance. It's easier to not go overboard. Right. It's less drug-like. It's less chance of side effects. So that's just me. But no, makes sense. Yeah, and the effects you. are more you know subtle. What you're talking about. I say I say you qualify. Yeah. The effects are more subtle too, you know, when you're using the powdered extract, you kind of get a, just a gentle feel of it. Whereas when you take extracts, you're like, wow, I am really, I really don't have a lot of anxiety right now. Yes. Yeah. It's more instant, instantaneous too, as far as the result goes, I, I found. Yeah. And if you do take these, it's good to cycle them. It's good to like take them for five days and then take it off for two days. Just what I find, and I find this with a lot of stuff, if you just take it continuously, Eventually, you stop feeling it, and it just seems to your body adapts to it. That's yeah. what your body does. So specifically, plants, herbs, adaptogens, that sort of thing. Which, yeah, I see that all the time. That's why I try to cycle it out. But it's funny because you get mm-hmm. addicted to feeling good, and you're like, I don't want to remove this. But then one day you wake up and you realize it's not doing what it did. Yeah, it's nice to take days off. You know, it's like. Sometimes I'll take things that boost testosterone or, or help with anxiety or something like that because I know I have a big day coming up and I got meetings and all that stuff and it really helps you like stay focused. But then, you know, you have a day where you're not doing much. You're just in the office and it's good to take it off and yeah. It makes perfect sense. Totally. I like your thinking. All right. You got anything else? I think we covered the ashwagandha route and uh no i I mean i love it it was uh this is a nice little compact episode we hope you guys got nice and scared about screen time and over (laughs) overdoses of serotonin but uh (laughs) and sunscreen sunscreen don't wear too much sunscreen (laughs) and harry potter spells so just all things to avoid yep or at least be cognitive of and make good choices. Yep. If you want to send us an email, quackspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Rate us on iTunes. If you can go give us five stars or you know whatever you think we deserve. Five, on there. seven, whatever you got, whatever they got. Whatever they let you give us. Um, that would also be really helpful. It helps us with the iTunes standings. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. The, the, the articles and the studies will be in the show notes if you're interested. Thanks, everybody. Be well. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.